Okay, this last portion of Paul's letter that he wrote to the young church in Thessalonica, he had been telling them that they were doing well. He wanted to let them know how much he loved them and how they were growing and they were enduring the persecution uh, that they were facing. Um, and he wanted to be with them and see them face to face, but he knew he wasn't able to go, so he sent this letter to share with them things that had been on his mind and heart for them. I prayed over how to uh, approach this chapter, and there were several different ways, but came back to comforted, challenged, and called. So we're going to look at chapter 5, comforted, challenged, and called. So verses 1 through 11 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we see that um, they were comforted because Paul again in his attempt to clear up the confusion they had about believers who had already died and their concern over them missing the coming of the Lord. Um, he was clarifying and trying to ease the confusion that they were under by saying, no, those that have already gone on ahead of us that know the Lord will come back with him, and then those that are still living will all be reunited. So um, whether you have believers friends, relatives that have already gone home to be with the Lord, you will be reunited with them if the Lord comes in our lifetime, perhaps today. And if not, though, eventually we each one will go home to be with the Lord, and then we will be at some point reunited with those that are still living if it's not in our lifetime. Personally, I think it, it will be, but only the Lord knows the day or the hour, right, as we've been learning. So in chapter 4, we saw how we told them about this so that they could comfort one another knowing, no, that those that have already died aren't going to miss out on the second coming. They're going to come with the Lord. Now here in these first 11 verses, he's talking again about waiting until the Lord comes. And in verse 11, he says, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. So he's reminding them about the Lord's coming, that that should bring comfort to the heart of the believer, as well as now he adds here to edify one another. Edify means to build up like you would a structure or to strengthen. And he began this portion with the fact, again, stating no one knows the day or the hour or exactly when the Lord re will return, that it will come as a thief in the night. But the signs are there for us to see how close we are to it coming. And if they thought they were close, how much closer it is for us today, all these many years later. Um, he is coming, and that's what we need to know. And there's nothing else um, that most believe that are, that's in prophecy that has to take place before he comes for his church. And this part, uh, these first 11 verses of what he's talking about, um, made me think of being a watchful soldier and a waiting bride. And we are to be both. We are to be a watchful soldier as well as a waiting bride because it tells us we are of the day, not of the night. We're to watch and be sober, clear-headed, not asleep or not drunk as we wait for the Lord to come. And I think the not being drunk is not only dealing with not drinking wherein is excess, but um, not coming under the influence of the world, 
not being so caught up in the cares of the world that that's what influences you and what makes you tick, so to speak. Um, a soldier on guard duty. When they're out on guard duty, they are to stay awake, they're to be alert, and they're protecting not only themselves, but for the troops that are sleeping while this other one or those that are on guard duty stay awake so that if the enemy approaches, they can take care of the enemy or they can alert all the troops and get up and fight the enemy that's coming. That soldier, if he's a good soldier, is not going to drink while he's on the job and be lulled to sleep or be distracted with other things or just kind of not as alert as he should be. He's going to become dull of his senses if that's what he's doing. But he stays alert. He stays watchful. Second Timothy 2 verses 3 and 4 tell us that we are to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. God has called us into his army. We are part of God's army. And we're to endure hardship like a good soldier would. Now, my husband was drafted two months after we got married, back in the 60s. I had just graduated high school for two months. We got married, and two months later, he left. His life no longer was his own, but the army owned him, so to speak. The army was in charge of his life. And you know, anyone that goes into the military, and some of you know it, either have, having been there, or having a relative, a son or daughter, husband, that has been gone into the military, the, their life is no longer their own. Well, we're told we've been bought with a price. We are no longer our own. We belong to the Lord. He is our commander in chief. Um, and when Michael went into the army, the army for those two years decided where he would go, what he would do, when he would do it, how he was supposed to do it. And that's basically, you know, that's what we need to do as a soldier in God's army, be on guard, watching and waiting for the Lord to return, but then doing and being and going and doing what the Lord tells us to do, because we belong to him now. Also, we are the bride of Christ. Now, you know, if you've heard any teaching, if you've known the Lord for any length of time, that when Mary and Joseph became in, engaged, it was a much deeper, it was a legal commitment to each other that they had made. They entered into what would be um, legally bound as husband and wife, even though they hadn't been living and gone through the ceremony for husband and wife. Being engaged back then was more than what it is today. They, uh, and usually the son, the man, the bridegroom, would go back to his father's house and make ready a place where he could go get his bride and that they could be united where they would live. Well, we've talked about this several times in John 14, 1 through 3. We read where Jesus is saying, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to my father's house. We're, I'm preparing a place, and I will come again for you. That, in that context, is like the bridegroom telling his bride, don't worry, I'm going to go prepare a place. And when it's ready and the father tells me, son, go get your bride, I'm going to come back for you, and we're going to be together. And it makes me think of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25. Five were 
all 10 were waiting for the bridegroom to come. Five were ready, they were considered wise. Five were not ready, and they were considered foolish. And I remember studying that portion of scripture, and when the five went out, when the, the notice came, the announcement, the bridegroom is coming, the five that were ready went out to greet him. The others didn't have oil in their lamps. They had to go into town and look for oil and buy oil. The five wise came into the bridal chamber or the, where the house was, and there's a, I think it's verse 13, it says, and the door was shut. The door was shut, and when the five foolish came back, the door did not open for them. Because the five were ready, five weren't. We want to be like those five wise virgins, ready for the Lord to come. So that when he does come, we're going to be with him. We will be with him for all of eternity. But how are we waiting? Are we waiting, expecting the bridegroom to come anytime? Are we preparing for our life with him? When, um, as I said, my we got married two weeks after I graduated graduated high school and I wasn't pregnant. We didn't have to. That was just, you know, I wanted out of my parents' house. And instead of moving out with my best friend, like we had talked about for many years, Michael came along and we moved out, but we moved out, you know, legally. Um, but anyway, when he, he got drafted and then he went to Vietnam for a year and I worked while he was gone. And every payday, I would go down, I worked downtown Long Beach, I would go down to the department store and go over and buy a Faberware pan, a, you know, a cook pan. I still have those today, 52 years later. I'm still using those same pans. They were good pans. But anyway, I was preparing for when he came home. I was preparing for when we could resume life together as a husband and a wife. And while we're waiting for our bridegroom to come, we need to recognize we are his bride. We need to be preparing by building up treasures in heaven, being about our bridegroom's business while we wait. Um, I also, every day, I would race home to see if I got a letter. And I'm still in that mindset. I know you guys text and tweet and do all those things. Well, I text, so I still, though, every day when I come home, I like to check, did I get any mail? Or did I get any phone calls? Or did I get it, when I get up in the morning, I go check my phone, did I get a text? Did I get a Snapchat? Did I hear from someone? I still have that expectancy. And I think it all stemmed from, you know, wanting to hear from my husband when he was in the military. But we have God's love letter, ladies. Every day we should open it, expecting to hear, expecting to, to read something that our Lord is wanting to minister to us, to let us know how much he loves us and what he would have us to do while we wait. Now, while I was waiting for my husband, I didn't go out carousing around. I wasn't unfaithful. I didn't go out flirting with every guy I came across, not even one or two. Um, uh, I, I didn't go out drinking and messing around. And it's like, while we wait for our bridegroom, we need to be faithful. We need to be true to him. We need to be sober-minded. And, you know, that doesn't mean not having fun. Sometimes people think Christians don't have fun. I have more fun being sober-minded when I am with other sisters, let's say down at a retreat or having some, some, even just a lunch out, have so much fun. It's not boring being a Christian. And God gives us, oh, hello, exhortations and instructions not to ruin our fun. Just tell them we're not here. Tell, 
hit decline or whatever you do. <laughs> Talking about waiting for a phone call or something. Um, uh, but anyway, we, we need to um, be true to him and enjoy the things that he lets us enjoy and know that the things he tells us to avoid are for our own protection, not to take away our fun. We're not being punished when he tells us not to do something or to go and do something. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That word filled is in a continual sense. Be ye being filled. Continue to get filled up with the Lord through his word, through worship, through fellowship, through obedience, through putting the Lord first, because then the Holy Spirit's going to be the one that is in you and upon you to help you make decisions that are godly decisions, will help you to walk worthy of the call that God has on your life, that will keep you away from those things of the world that would really work against you, that would work to put your light out instead of turning up the light, shining brighter and brighter for the Lord. So being a watchful serve, uh, soldier and a waiting bride, comfort others with the fact that we're not going to experience God's wrath that's going to be poured out on an unbelieving world. As verse 10 says, whether we live or die, we're going to live together with the Lord. That should bring comfort no matter what we face today, no matter how uncertain your future, no matter how uncertain this afternoon is or tomorrow, God's on the throne. And we know that he has a plan and he's working his plan. He is with us and he is bigger than any problem we could possibly ever face or deal with. And we've been saved from God's wrath against sin. We've been given eternal life, new life, abundant life, a changed life. And now while we're waiting, we can live in fellowship with him. We don't have to um, like be face-to-face. -face. That's going to be glorious when we are. Like when I had to wait for Michael to get home, it, it was a total waiting period. I mean, I could get a letter or something, but with the Lord, his presence is with us. How often? All the time, and all means all. He's with us 24-7. Every moment, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year, every decade, every century, the Lord is always with us. And that should bring comfort, knowing that we're passing through. This too shall pass. And then it should strengthen us and build us up as well. Then we can comfort others and build others up by reminding them when they're going through a difficult time. Remind them God is for them. He's not against them. And encourage them. Strengthen them. So that's the comfort. Verses 12 through 22. The next several verses just contain numerous exhortations some might call them commands, and I wouldn't disagree. An exhortation is stronger than encouragement. Uh, it's to implore or to warn. Um, one has called it, it's to stir up. So an, you want to encourage people in the Lord, but an exhortation is when you want to be a little bit stronger than that. Maybe you see them starting to veer off the path, and then you are going to exhort them. And these, all these exhortations that are in these next verses all are um, challenge us. They challenge us, and that's the next seed. They challenge us to godly living. They challenge us in our relationships and how we're to live while we wait for the Lord to come. 
and you're gonna go over them in your group because I asked you in your lesson to rewrite them in your own words. Well, I wanna go through them just, just quickly. Now, in verse 12, it's just Paul is saying, we urge you to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and to admonish or in, instruct them uh, who instruct you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and to be at peace among yourselves, meaning be at peace with those that are over you, be at peace with those in the body of Christ. Um, this, this verse um, several years ago really spoke to me. I had, many of you know this, I had the opportunity to go to Russia with um, uh, Calvary Chapel Church Planting Mission, which planted several Calvary chapels in Russia once things opened up, I think it was in 91. Well, I got to go over and minister to a lot of the nationals that were serving in the Calvary chapels or the missionaries that were pastoring there. And the next, I mean, I came back wanting to go again. I fell in love with the people, what the Lord was doing. And my husband said, no, you went once. No, you're not going again. And no, we're not going. Well, I knew it was too big of an issue for me to try to use my gift of manipulation, <laughs> persuasion, yeah, that sounds better, but that it was like, Lord, this is too big. How can two be one and be so on opposite ends? Please change him or please change me. Several of the gals I was involved in ministry at the time with were praying, of course, Lord, your will be done. And over that course of a year, some of the missionaries had come into town, you know, on furlough. We got to see them. Michael met them. And um, his heart kind of softened. And so before the year was up, he said, you know, Lynn, I don't want to stop you ever from doing what you feel the Lord is calling you to do. So you can go. I was so excited. I called Kay, my pastor's wife, and said, guess what? Because she had been praying. Michael's going to let me go to Russia. And she said, is he going? And I said, no, but he said I could go. Well, she said, I know you have to go, and we're not going to talk about it now, but no, you're not going to go. And I thought, well, excuse me, who do you think you are? <laughs> Just the pastor's wife of a huge Calvary chapel, right? And I was involved in ministry, and I thought, well, fine, I'll, I'll quit. I'll get kicked out. I'll leave the church, but I'm going to Russia. Michael said I can go. Well, I was going up to Long Beach, and in the car on the way, this part of this verse came to my mind, to obey those that have rule over you. And I thought, Lord, that, are you sure? Well, when I got home, sure enough, I looked it up, and that's exactly what it said. So when Michael got home from work, that later that night, I told him, and he said, well, can she do that? He said, well, yeah, she can. She could even call Debbie and George, the people that take the teams and the groups over, and tell them don't let her go. She's out of order or whatever. Well, anyway, it was kind of a upsetting time. Well, Michael said, and many of you know, okay, I don't want to stop you from going. I'll go. Well, we went eight more times every six months that he went as well, and he's learned you don't ever say never to the Lord. And it, I, I felt so good because it wasn't my power of persuasion. It was the Lord totally fixing things. But that, you know, we may not always agree with those that are in authority over us, but there is a chain of command, and sometimes they have information we don't have. 
And we've got to trust that they know what they're doing. And if they don't, they're going to answer to the Lord. We need to know what God is calling us to do and then do it. So that was more like to keep order in the church. Then he goes on, now we exhort you, warn those who are unruly or um, kind of, uh, I forget the word, I wrote it here in pen, oh, in, insubordinate or idle. Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. And that's the attitude we're to have to those that are younger in the Lord than us or, or haven't grown as much in the Lord. Encourage them, be patient with them. Those that are weary and have gone through hard times, come alongside and, and encourage them. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, not only just to other believers, but to anyone. Um, and then, but always pursue or go after what is good, both for yourselves and for all. What's beneficial for others, what's beneficial for you as well as others. And then these next three are so, they should so characterize our life as a Christian. Rejoice or be joyful always, because it's the joy of the Lord. It's not our circumstances. It's not happiness. But rejoice always. Why? God's on the throne. Rejoice always. Why? Because he's coming again soon. Those are just two reasons. Pray without ceasing. And again, that doesn't mean you stay on your knees 24-7. That means you talk to the Lord throughout the day. You're just aware of his presence with you and talking to him. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Why can we thank him in whatever our circumstances? Because he's good, because he loves you, because he's on the throne, because he's working a plan that is far above our own understanding. There's so many things. We don't maybe like the situation we're in, but we can give thanks and have an attitude of gratitude because of our salvation, because we know where we're going. Do not quench the spirit. Quench means to literally like throw water on a fire. Don't put out the work of the Holy Spirit in your life by grieving him, by not doing what he prompts you to do or, or keep doing when he prompts you not to keep doing something. And you can put out the work of the Spirit in someone else's life. Maybe they're all excited about something and you just can throw a damper on, on their joy by quenching the Spirit that's even within them because of your attitude. And kind of to go along with this, do not despise prophecies. Don't look down on them, don't reject them, but test all things. Check them out, just like the Bereans were told and would do. Whatever they heard, they went back to the scriptures they had and checked it out. Whatever you hear anybody teach with the word, make sure that's what the word of God says. Don't just take that because you hear it on a Christian radio station or on TV. Check it out. If that's not what the word says, then let it go. Otherwise, hold fast, hold on to what is good. And then abstain from every form of evil, or King James is every appearance of evil. And a good example of that is, let's say a young man and woman fall in love and they want to get married, but they're not married yet and they move in together. Well, we have separate bedrooms. Well, that's great. You two know that. And the Lord sees that, but do your neighbors know that you're not living together and you are professing to be Christian? Don't even take on the appearance of what would be evil are not right. And so those exhortations, again, all are um, to how, help us live 
in this life. We're challenged to live in the, this way. And you're going to have an opportunity to talk about some that maybe you're struggling with. But yet, give them to the Lord. Commit it to the Lord. Pray about those. Because he will work those things and help you to be obedient to all of those things. Okay, the third C is called, verses 23 through 28. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with the holy kiss. And I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now, do you wonder why it says God of peace? He's the God of all comfort. He's the God of hope. He's the God of so many things. And yet Paul chose here the God of peace himself sanctify you. Well, one place I read said that it's because we've been reconciled to God. So we have peace with God through our salvation. Yes. And until you have peace with God by dealing with your sin, you're not going to really experience the peace of God or have peace with others. But this is the God of peace himself, sanctify you. Sanctify is that process that begins when you're first saved. You are set apart unto God, set apart from your sin. And then it continues. It's a process that continues as we grow in our walk with the Lord and as we yield more and more of our life over to the control of the Lord, over to his lordship. And then it will be complete when completely, may him sanctify you completely, when we go home to be with him. Then we're completely set apart from sin and set apart unto God. And it says here, your whole spirit, soul, and body. Well, the body is this physical mass. The soul is more our thoughts and our emotions. And then our spirit, that's the eternal part of us that until we're born again is kind of dead. But when we're born again, that spirit comes alive within us and we're going to live eternally. Now, everyone is going to live eternally, but they're either going to live eternally with God or cast out away from his presence for all of eternity. And we know as believers, we're going to live eternally with him. And we are to be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord. You know, that's, we're being kept by God, preserved, kept by God. In Jude 24 and 22, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. That can kind of sound impossible because we know we stumble every day. And every day we need to go before the Lord, but it's not impossible because God is doing it. And we have been called by God to live this way. We have been called, and I love verse 24. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. God has called you to obedience. God has called you to be sanctified. God has called you. Whatever he sets before you, he will do it in you and through you. He doesn't expect you to do it on your own. He knows you're just made of dust. That that's why he, he came to die in our place and to rise, raise from the dead and to raise us up. He is going to do it. And therefore, it's not impossible because God is doing it. I love that. It's 
1 Thessalonians 5.24 should be so reassuring to you, so comforting, so strengthening to you. If he calls you, he will empower you. If he sets before you a task, no, he's going to K-N-O-W, I don't mean N-O, K-N-O-W. No, he will equip you to do it. So all of these many exhortations, you may be challenged, but he's called you, and he is going to be faithful. He will help you to get through. And he's faithful to help us get through the praying. Paul asked for prayer, and he used brethren pray for us. Family, he was writing to family. We have family as we gather together at church. We have family, the family of God. And it shows how important prayer is. If he wanted prayer, how much more we want prayer. Uh, it says to greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. The holy kiss would be like a kiss on the cheek, and greet, greet in Greek literally means enfold with the arms. So when you hug someone, you're, you're obeying scripture. You're being obedient to scripture when you give someone a hug. Now, I know like with guys, they tell women, you know, don't just, you know, give them a hug unless it's like your husband or something, but give them a side hug, you know, if you know them well enough. But be, you don't have to hug them, but... Be, it, it indicates a friendliness. Be, be welcoming. Greet one another. Be friendly. Smile. It can change someone's whole day, someone's whole mood. And then he was making sure you, that they would read this letter to everyone, not just those that open the mail or whatever. It was to be read to the whole church and probably to other churches as well as they were in touch with other churches. What does that talk about? The word, share the word with one another. So we need to pray for one another. We need to have fellowship. We need to stay in the word and share the word. And then in verse 28, it's Paul's signature closing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. And we need to re remember, without Jesus, we'd be dead in our trespasses and sins, ladies. We, in, we would be in this world without hope, without help. Uh, we'd, we'd just be lost in, in this dark world the way all those unbelievers are that we need to be praying for and reaching out to. But we need to know his grace is sufficient for everything and anything that we might face and experience as we wait for the Lord's return. So ladies, watch, stay alert as you wait, prepare, and be ready because he is coming. Lord, we thank you that your word is true and that your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, that if you said it, Lord, we can count on it. We can take it to the bank, as they say. And so, Lord, help us to watch, stay alert, be ready, be prepared, and help us to be about your business, Lord, building up treasures in heaven, sharing your word, watering and planting seeds, Lord, as only you give the increase, but help us do our part. And may we be yielded to you, Lord, that you could use us according to your plan and purpose. So, Lord, I pray you bless the discussion groups as the women share with one another. Just continue to uh, enlighten us and give us understanding of how to apply your word to our lives individually as well as a body of women. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.